All right, today we're going to study Romans 8, verses 19 to 21. Uh, and Paul is doing a magnificent job of laying out the principles of Christianity. What does it mean to be a Christian? What is God telling us in terms of what our walk is supposed to be? And in these two verses here, Paul will talk about the nature of the creation, the fact that it has fallen uh, as a result of sin, and gives us deep insights uh, into how God works. And this is important because this is part of our Christian worldview. You see, we need to understand what God's worldview is uh, in terms of how we live. Uh, because it's, it's key, because the world's view of the world is totally different from the Lord's. So, look, looking at that passage, follow along with me. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. And so what he's saying there is that the creation was never meant to decay. The creation was never meant to die. When God created this world uh, and he, he put man into the Garden of Eden, God expected man to live forever. God never expected man uh, to die. God never expected the creation to collapse. God never expected the creation to fall into chaos, to fall into earthquakes or tsunamis or hurricanes or cyclones. None of that was meant to happen. But you see, when sin came in and mankind uh, fell to sin, that act by mankind subjected creation to death and decay. Uh, and so it's important for you to understand that because he tells us that the day will come when all of this will be reversed. Now, Paul is telling us all this because he's explaining that the Christian life is incredibly worthwhile to live, even though we will experience sufferings. Why will we experience sufferings? Because we're going to die. Uh, and that's part of what Satan did uh, to this creation, as he wrecked it. And so, yes, you're going to suffer, but effectively, as you suffer and go through persecutions, go through dark times, uh, the thing is, is that we have to understand that you put it on the scale. And on one side of the scale is this temporal life, this short life, whether it's, you know, 85, 90, even 100, and you compare it to eternity, well, there's no comparison. And that's what he wants us to understand this. This is the es essence of life. And so even though in this life we'll suffer persecution, we'll suffer sufferings, uh, sometimes we think unbelievers have it better. Let me clue you in. Unbelievers don't have it better, all right? Because you are victorious at the end of the day. When you die, you're going to step from this world instantaneously to be with the Lord Jesus Christ and your family that have gone before that are saved. For them, that's not the case. It's not the case. Uh, it's darkness. And so uh, we need to understand just what God has given us. Now, Paul considers this uh, because he's got such a giant intellect that it's self-evident uh, why Christians should live 
in this rational way. For him, it's, it's absolutely clear. Uh, and the first reason why it's so clear is the short duration of what we experience. You know, this is what happens to us sometimes when we get caught up in the world. We get so caught up in working and, and saving money and, and taking care of our children and taking care of our future that we get obsessed with the world. We get obsessed with living in this world. Uh, and we lose sight of the fact that we're headed to eternity. God has saved you. You're going to spend eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ. You are going to be with the creator of the universe for eternity. You need to remember this uh, every day of your life. Uh, and, and as I, he talks about this uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Why don't we turn to that? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but, us, but what is unseen is eternal. What a beautiful passage that is. Focusing on the eternal. Focusing on what is unseen. Uh, because we get lost, you see. We get lost in the myopia uh, of this world, and, and we get fixated on it. And instead, he's telling you, look at wh what God is doing. Even as you are physically wasting away, and we know that we are. I gave an example of that yesterday in church. All right. Even as we're physically wasting away, inwardly, the spirit is growing stronger. You know, if you're walking with Jesus Christ, every day of your walk, you are getting stronger. You're drawn more to Jesus Christ. Uh, and I would say you know that. You have a hunger for the word. The, the very fact that you're here on a Monday morning and not out golfing is proof that you're growing and hungering for the word of God. You want to hear what God has for your life. You see? Uh, and so this is how God wants you to live. And so you begin to understand the timetable of eternity. It makes so much more sense for you. Uh, and, and so you put things into their proper perspective. You have the timetable of eternity. Now the second reason why, why the Christian life is rational, uh, when you think about it, lies in the contrast between the weight of the suffering you experience, the weight of the persecution you experience, which is light, and the weight of the glory to come. Now, nobody suffered more than the Apostle Paul. You know those writings when he talks about the beatings that he received, the shipwrecks he received, the prison sentences that he received. Much of his adult life was in prison. Uh, it's amazing. Eventually, he was beheaded. He talks about the light nature of this suffering as contrasted to the eternal glory. He could speak like that because he had a vision for what was on the other side. And we could never really put into words what's on the other side. But it, it makes the comparison of this world's suffering inconsequential. Now, he continues to make this argument very effectively in verse 19 and beyond. The new element he is adding is effectively now the cosmos, the universe, the creation. And now when he speaks about the creation in this part of his writing here, 
When he speaks about it here, he's not talking about the human aspect. He's not talking about angels uh, or demons. Here, he's talking about the non-human, inanimate component. All right? Um, And here he's talking about the fact that the non-human, inanimate component uh, is groaning. All right? Because it also is decaying. It also is dying. Uh, And so he's not talking about the physical world of matter. He's talking, rather, uh, about the fact of the animal life, the animal kingdom, uh, the plant life, all the rest of creation. And his argument here is that nature is in an imperfect state. You see, nature was not intended to die. Nature was intended to be eternal also when God created this. And so here, nature itself, even as, as, even as it is inanimate, he is putting life to it uh, and saying that it also is longing for liberation. He is personifying nature uh, so that you get a glimpse of how God looks at it. Now, it doesn't mean that these elements have cognitive feelings. It's not meaning that. But rather, it's an element of how God looks at that aspect of nature. Uh, And he's saying that it it is waiting to be perfected by God. God is waiting to perfect that element of nature which has fallen. And so if nature is waiting, uh, well, we could be waiting too, knowing that a glorious outcome is to come when God will perfect what what he created here. And that's one of the things that the Bible tells us will take place. At the end of time, this world will be perfected. It will be perfected. And we know as we read Revelation, and we believe that that's true, it talks about the fact that the new Jerusalem, heaven itself, will come from the cosmos, from where it is in eternity, and will be brought to this world, and this world will become the repository of God the Father and Jesus Christ. And when all that comes together, this world will be perfected. It's an amazing thought process, that even heaven itself will be perfected uh, as it comes together. Now, the world, you see, doesn't see it like this, and it affects their worldview, uh, and, and because uh, the world worships the creation, uh, and so they make one of two errors here, and you'll see this often when you hear people who are unsaved uh, or atheists talk about, about the world. The world makes one of two errors. They either worship the cosmos, almost like a god. They worship it uh, as if it were ideal, or else they believe it is evolving toward perfection. Evolving toward perfection. Just as they believe humanity is evolving toward perfection. Can you imagine? Uh, And so the Christian view, and this is our worldview, you need to be aware of it, because uh, this should be your guide as you walk through this world. The Christian view of of creation is radically different. Uh, Now, if Carl Sagan could see the cosmos as God sees uh, the cosmos, uh, he would say that the creation is actually looking towards God. Of course, he wouldn't say that because he didn't believe in God. Uh, But the creation is earnestly waiting for God to come and perfect itself and to perfect humanity, and to perfect us as the children of God. And that day is coming. This is one of the truly great passages in all of Scripture, uh, because you see, the world sees 
uh, some ongoing perfecting in nature. That's, the, that's how the world uh, comes to terms with how they worship their God. In other words, the cosmos, it's on its way to becoming God. Well, no, it's not. The cosmos is decaying. It's not perfect. This, this whole setup is going down the drain. This world is going down the drain. Now, you see it every day, but I'm going to assure you that it is full of decay and death. Uh, and, and, of course, they, they latch on to it because they believe in evolution, meaning things are evolving and getting better. No, it's not. Do you think humanity is getting better? It's getting worse. You, all you have to do is l listen to the news for five minutes. You know, we're headed towards destruction. And so the Christian doctrine uh, of the cosmos has three parts. And this is our worldview. If you're a Christian, you need to know this. Three parts. First, this is God's world. He created it. Uh, and the Christian worldview presupposes a creator, a, a, a being that existed before time. Uh, God created time. I often tell you that when, when God looks at time, God sees the beginning and the end of time as if it were a parade. Now, this is hard for us to imagine, but this is how God works. He sees that, and he actually sees the beginning even as he sees the end. He knows all things. Uh, and so this is how our worldview ought to be. This is what we pre presuppose. Now, the world is not eternally existent. The world didn't exist from the beginning of time. The word's void in the world. You read Genesis uh, chapter 1, it's very clear. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and void was upon the face of the earth. There was void here, all right? There was void here uh, in this world, uh, and God created it. Now, you know, uh, those on the other side of us uh, will now refer to the Big Bang Theory, that there was an explosion, uh, and out of that explosion, here it is. Take a good look. It all came together. Isn't it beautiful? Everything in its ordered place. What an explosion. Well, who lit the match? Who lit the match? And this is so absurd to think that all of the planets, all of the galaxy, the earth on a perfect axis that gives us four seasons, that allows us to have this kind of life in a world where everything grows together. Who put it all together? How can you honestly say it happened by accident? That's just plain stupid, all right? I mean, really, it's plain stupid. I said last week, and I'll say it again. It's akin to saying that there was an explosion in your backyard. You ran out to look at the explosion, and out of the explosion, you found a brand new Rolex watch. Only this is far greater, right? This is far greater. Uh, and so we have to understand that this is the handiwork of God. He did it. He planned it. He put it together. And Jesus Christ, we're told, is the very force that interstitially keeps it together. You know, the science doesn't truly understand how all these things work together. But I can tell you, they refer to the interstitial force. I'll tell you who it is. It's Jesus. All right? And someday Jesus is going to say, enough. And when he says enough, it'll all come to an end. All right? And that day will come also. Now, second, as we understand the worldview of the Christian, uh, as distinguished from the worldview of the non-Christian, uh, uh, 
what it, what it says there is that the world has been subjected to trouble as the result of God's judgment on man rendered at the time of the fall. Now, this is pretty clear. God created man to live forever. God put him in the Garden of Eden. Uh, and when man fell, God put a curse on man. And if you look at, uh, at Genesis 3, verse 17, it says there, when God puts the judgment on man because he fell to sin, Cursed is the ground because of you, and it will produce thorns and thistles for you. Cursed is the ground because of you. Now, was it meant to produce thorns and thistles and be cursed? No, it was not. But because of our disobedience, our acceptance of sin, this is a judgment. Now, this is important for us because we have to understand as much as God is loving in every way and faithful in every way, still he pronounces judgment. He has to because he's holy. A holy entity cannot accept sin. And so as, as he saw his creation uh, accept sin and embrace sin, a judgment had to be placed on that, that humanity. And that judgment was death. Death. You will experience death. Uh, and you will have to work very hard because this ground will now be cursed. Uh, and so it becomes very, very true to understand this. This is why Paul uses the word frustrated. Frustration to describe the current state of nature. It's subjected to frustration, meaning what? It's being subjected to a judgment not having anything to do with what it did. It's frustrated, all right? But that day will come to an end. Now, the bondage of nature is linked to its frustration uh, and is the very cause of it. Paul is saying that although nature uh, does not want it to be as it is, it is powerless to do anything about it. Nature can't do anything about it. It can't do anything about it. It is God who is in charge. This is what redemption is all about, you see, uh, even as it explains who we are. We can't redeem ourselves. All we can do is say to God, Lord, forgive me. I need a Savior. I am lost without you. And redemption then means God lifts the judgment, enters your heart, gives you the Holy Spirit, and frees you from death. Now, will you still experience physical death? Yes, but you will never experience spiritual death. You will live with God forever. And so this then becomes the redemption of creation, knowing that there will be a time when God recreates nature as he recreates the, the world. Now, the third issue here uh, for you to understand uh, is the issue of decay. The issue of decay. Uh, even science today understands the issue of decay. It will say that the cosmos is decaying and running down. This becomes the third law of thermodynamics. So now while energy is not being destroyed, energy is being dissipated. It is becoming less useful, uh, and meaning it is best, less useful to, to us as well. And so the third point in the Christian doctrine of understanding this, as he writes it, is that in spite of, cre of creation's current frustration, the day is coming when all of creation will be renewed. 
it will all be renewed. Just as now spring follows winter, all right, there will be a day when there will be no more winters, uh, where there will be no more darkness. It will be renewed. Uh, spring will come over the past winter. It will become a permanent spring. Uh, now, some people think this will happen during the millennium. Uh, other people believe that it will happen even after the millennium. We don't know. But I can tell you this for sure. The Bible makes it clear there will be a time when this world will be reclaimed. This world will be recreated. It's very clear that that's what happened. So what happened at the Garden of Eden is that Satan, the great enemy of God, tried to impede God's plan to create a world of men and women who would live in a holy life, who would worship and love the Lord. Uh, and when he accomplished this, he thought he had succeeded even as he brought about the entire fall of all creation. But God intervened. Even as God pronounced judgment on Satan, uh, he pronounced a bright future. Take a look, if you would, at Genesis chapter 3. And I tell you all this, this is important, because I want you to understand that as a Christian, the Old Testament is as valid as the New Testament. There's one Bible. Don't go down that road where I see some theologians today saying, you don't really need the Old Testament. Yes, you do. Because the Old Testament is the pretext to set the foundation for what we're doing in the New Testament. It all comes together. There are multiple, multiple prophecies that God has made, certainly as to Jesus, that appear in the Old Testament. Well, here is a very, very poignant one. Genesis chapter 3. Uh, take a look at uh, verse 15. Actually, we'll start with 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, uh, and then he says, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now, this is the first great prophecy of Jesus Christ. All right? This tells you what your worldview is all about. You need to be aware of this. Uh, because he says here, I'm going to put enmity, hatred, between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. There will always be uh, a discord between you, Satan, your angelic following, uh, and humanity. There will be this discord. And then he says, uh, he's speaking now about Christ Jesus, uh, he will crush your head, the offspring of the woman, Jesus Christ, will crush your head and you will strike his heel. What does that mean? It means that Satan will have some temporal success. He will injure Christ. He will hurt Christ. He will persecute Christ. He will be involved with those evildoers who will put Christ on a cross. But eventually Jesus will triumph. He will triumph, and when he triumphs, he will crush your head. 
Now, that is the overwhelming worldview of where we stand as Christians. We win. He does not. He has success now in this world. But the day will come when the rug will be pulled out from his feet. Uh, and he will be placed in, into an eternal lake of fire. And so when you follow Jesus Christ, you know that this is the prophecy that follows Christ that follows you. As you walk with Christ, as you pick up the cross of Christ and follow him, he is guaranteeing that he will keep you safe. Yes, you're going to take some hits. Yes, you're going to suffer some suffering. But at the end of the day, you will win because he wins. Uh, and it's such a, a, a vivid understanding. Uh, the prophet Isaiah also speaks about this issue uh, uh, in Isaiah 11, verse 6 to 9. And again, speaking about the day, then God will perfect and redeem this world. Look at what will happen there. The lion will live with the lamb. This is Isaiah 11, verse 6. The lion will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra, and the young child put his hand near the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Isn't that an incredible set of verses? How the entire creation is going to be changed. The very nature of animal life uh, is going to be changed as God will perfect it. I believe that this was the intention of God from the beginning until Satan interfered. Uh, and you know, I know some of you will say, well, why did God allow Satan into existence? Why did God, if God is all-knowing, well, I believe that God saw that his creation had to be tested. It had to be tested because here's the nature of God. God doesn't want you to love him because he makes you love him. God has given you free will. And let's understand this. Free will. John 3, 16. What's the first word? Whosoever. You understand? Whosoever. Some will accept. Some will reject. But he is giving you the free will to make this determination. And so you see it here. Uh, this is a powerful picture of what God wants. He created you so that you voluntarily would embrace him and love him. That's what it's about. He wants his creation not to be a robot, but he wants you to come to him in love, uh, without force, uh, to follow him every day of your life. That's the nature of what it is. This is an incredibly powerful picture of the redeemed world. Uh, now, the creation is waiting for that day. Uh, if you learn to reason the way Paul has laid it out for you, it will rearrange your values, and change your approach to suffering and the disappointments of this life. Why do I say that? Because you no longer will equate everything to this world. 
You understand? You no longer will say, well, whatever happens in this world is what affects me. No, it doesn't. Yes, there's ups and downs. There are vicissitudes of life. But this world does not affect you. All right? Yes, it may momentarily affect you. But the real effect of your life is the cross of Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. That's what you've accepted. That's what you're walking. You know that you're accepting him and walking with him because you've already weighed the things in the balance and you've determined eternity is where I want to go. I want to be with you, Jesus. I want you to control my life. So you will re recognize, you see, that success in this life uh, is not what it's all about. Uh, and I'm so, I'm so really downhearted about people that have put all their eggs in the basket of this life. You've seen it. People who look at prosperity and affluence uh, as the ultimate standard of success. This is inconsequential. Really, this is inconsequential. The, the, you're, the fact that you've uh, achieved success in this life or affluence in this life. And one of the things that I had to learn uh, as a young Christian was that whatever success I had in this life was due to God. Now, I didn't see it that way when I was in my 20s. I thought it was because I was a smart little boy. You understand? And I'm looking around here and I see a lot of smart little boys. You made it to Naples. All right? And so the danger is you're thinking I made it to Naples because I was a smart little boy. I worked hard. All right? I saved my money. Well, let me give it to you straight. You had nothing to do in the end about why you're here. Everything that you are, beginning with your intellect, your talents, your giftedness, your opportunity came from him. And if you don't recognize this, then your worldview is so far out of focus, you need to get on your knees and ask God to give you a revelation. Honestly, it's when I really, truly came to understand this, that whatever I was doing, he did it. Whatever success I had, he did it. Uh, because he saw down the road. He saw where he had a place for me in this world. And he put it all together. Look, guys, you are here in this Bible study because God wanted you to be here. All right? He determined that this was where you needed to be. And he determined just as much that he wanted me to be up here teaching. And I want you to know something. As the teacher, it's not me just pouring out. It's not me just pouring out, as I say, my dad used to say, when you point to the people, remember there are three fingers pointing back at you. All right? So everything that I do, every, every lesson that I prepare, every sermon that I prepare, I recognize that God is first speaking to me. What portion of this, John, is for you? I guess it all is. I guess it all is. Uh, and so... Uh, when you begin to put your life into that proper perspective, now you understand suffering. What do I mean by that? Well, I just explained that God gave you everything, everything that you have. Well, now, guess what? You go to the doctor, all right, and you get an unhappy diagnosis. Now, do you fall apart? Do you shake your fist at God? Do you say, God, how could you do this to me? After all I've done for you, I love that line. All I've done for you, God. 
Look at me, what I've done for you, what I've, you've done for me, really. What, what a blasphemy, really. When you think of some of the things that we have said ignorantly and, and, and how a God of the universe. You know, I often tell you, if I were God and I heard somebody say that, I, w- I would go like a fly. You understand? <laughs> like a fly. Gone. 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 Really, gone. I mean, even yesterday when I collapsed while I'm preaching, I felt, I, I really felt bad for the church. Because all these people come out and expect to be fed by the word of God. And instead, I'm flailing in, on the pulpit. I'm just on the floor. And I'm angry at me. I'm not angry at God. But my question is, God, why? Why? Well, then I saw the entire church come together in prayer. You understand? And that began for me to understand Romans 8, 28. Yes, John, you had to take a fall. Because I wanted the people to see what it means to have a cohesive body of love when you come together for church. And there was a powerful feeling of prayer in that church. That's what it's about. You understand? That's what God speaks to your heart about. That's the worldview that we have. So yes, there's going to be some hard times. Yes, there's going to be some pain. Yes, there's going to be suffering. But you see the bigger picture. You recognize it. Uh, And you recognize that, that whatever success you have in this life is from him. Why do I say that? Because you've given him your life. All right? And so he is controlling your life. He is pouring into your life uh, success. Look, guys, whatever affluence you have, whatever position you have that God has poured into your life, don't get tied up in that affluence. Don't let it become a poison. And affluence can become a poison. I'm so blessed that I had parents from an early age, even from the age of five, six, seven, that if somebody would give us a dollar, give us a dollar, we were taught to take 10 cents out of the dollar and put it in a jar. Can you imagine? We would tithe even when we were five, six, seven years old. Uh, because we learned that that's what God wanted. It, was, it takes the poison out of the money. You understand? This is what it does. This is what tithing does. Because if you don't tithe, if you don't do that, what happens is you get obsessed. It's all mine. It's mine. I have to hold on to it. Whatever. Instead, when you understand it's his, it's all his, how much of his do I get to keep? Can I get an amen on that? You understand that? How much of his do I get to keep? That's the nature of of what this is about. And if you're not walking like that, if you're not living like that, you're outside of the will of God. It's that simple. Uh, and you know, I don't like preaching about money because I'm not looking to squeeze money out of you. you. You know, that's between you and God. But I want you to be aware of what God wants for you. I had another lesson in my life like this. Uh, when we were newly married, we lived in a town, Nutley, New Jersey, which had just won the award of safest city in America. Got that? Safest city in America. Well, guess what? We go to church on a Friday night. We come back. The house is ransacked. Safest city in America. I come in. The door is wide open. Uh, Robbers had come in. Burglars had come in and, and gone through the entire house. Even taking light fixtures off of the ceiling looking for money. But guess what? In a very visible, evident place, I had a study 
with a desk. And in that drawer was all of the tithe money of God. It wasn't locked up. It wasn't secreted. It was in a drawer. And it was never touched. It was never touched. It was almost like the Ark of the Covenant in the movie, right? Remember that? When Hitler wanted to get, get that, and, and when they finally found it, and they opened it up, and they were uh, uh, obliterated by it? It was as if God said, this is mine, and I want my servant to see what it means to understand what mine is, what mine is. And so this is our worldview as you understand all of creation coming together. And so a big part of this is understanding what success is. You are all successful. I'm looking at a room full of successful men, but God gave it to you. Don't ever forget it. Don't ever get to the point when you start becoming narcissistic. Narcissism is one of the great sins. That's one of the first sins of, of Satan, narcissism. Me, God, me. Why can't I be like you? Uh, being jealous of Jesus Christ. Do you realize that? That's what caused the fall of Satan. Me, me, I, I. Forget me. There's no me in Christianity. There's you. There's you, Lord. And so I'm, I'm extolling you to live this way. Second, second, as we live the powerful Christian life, you will place your hope not on any other human being. This is important. There will be no human being that you can put your hope in who will be the person who will ultimately lead you to eternity. Don't delude yourself into thinking uh, that salvation uh, will be brought about by human efforts. Forget it. Don't think, well, we're going to organize an effort for the poor. We're going to raise billions of dollars. We're going we're to give to the poor. We're going to fight poverty. We're going to increase education. We're going to go out and forgive student debt. We're going to do all these manipulative things because in the end, we, we know how to save the world. What did Jesus say about the poor? The poor you shall always have. You understand? It's not about saving the poor. It's about saving the spirit within humanity. That's what God's interested in. Uh, and so we need to say that. Yes, pray for your leaders. Yes, pray for your government. Uh, but you need to understand that sinful men and women will always continue to sin, and they will always disappoint you. And let me say this. Don't put your hope in some political savior. Because at the end of the day, your political savior is still a human being. All right? Uh, and the day uh, that I see Jesus being elected uh, to the presidency will be a day that I know that that's all changed. But that will never happen. Because you saw what happened the last time Jesus visited the earth. What did they do? Did they elect him as a leader? No, they put him on a cross. That's the nature of the human spirit. That's how humanity acts. Third, as you have this successful Christian life, understanding what God is doing, uh, to humanity and to creation. Third, keep your eye on Christ. Every day of your life, keep your eye on Jesus. What would Jesus do? How would Jesus want me to act? What part of this life does Jesus want me to change? Uh, because everything else is crumbling around you. I've just proven it. 
the, the creation, humanity, it is all decaying and falling around you. There's only one, one eternal way that will not crumble, that will stay forever, that will be faithful forever. It is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And if you live your life focusing, focusing on that, everything else will fall into place. Everything else. Everything else. I want to assure you, you will have a blessed family. All right, God will take care of you. You won't be out on the street. God will give you what you need, not necessarily what you want, but because you focused on Christ. And you want to give that perspective to your children. And you want to give that perspective to your spouse. And you want to give that perspective to your, to your friends. I want to walk with you, Lord. I want to live with you, Lord, so that whenever things come into my life, I can fluff them off. I can fluff them off. Yes, it hurts. Yes, I have some momentary pain, but I know the end of the story. And you win, and we win with you. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, I thank you so much for the words that you've given us today, the inspiration to understand what you expect from us as we follow you. Lord, we understand that we live in a fallen world. We understand that everything is decaying, but the one thing that is not is you, Lord. And the Holy Spirit within us is also not decaying. And so, Father, you have given us hope and assurance that we will be with you forever. And so, bless our men. Let this lesson resonate in their hearts. Let them continue to draw closer to you and to bring others with them as you affect the world uh, and the lost world through these men. Protect them and bring them back safely next week as we continue to study your word. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you all.